Welcome to the Autism Outreach Podcast. I'm your host, Rose Griffin. I had an amazing conversation today with Elianzetta Bonilla. She is a fellow speech therapist and recently also a board-certified behavior analyst. She is multilingual. She is an amazing and compassionate clinician. I got to know her because I was actually her supervisor as she was taking her coursework and studying to becoming a BCBA. I have another company called Supervision Academy. And I specialize in providing remote supervision to people who are becoming BCBAs. And so over the course of a year, I really got to know her. She is an amazing clinician. And so today we talk about a a bit of a hot topic. We talk all about SLP and BCBA collaboration. Sometimes it can be really, really hard to work together with people who come from a different field, with a different level of expertise. And so we talk today through some of these different points. um, And we talk about how do we translate some of the research into our everyday dealings so that our main priority is really helping the child and really helping the learner so that they become an independent and effective communicator. It's such a great episode. I'm very excited for you to listen to it. And if you haven't already, check out our new free webinar all about my five top tips and strategies to help your autistic students engage and communicate. That is available now at abaspeech.org. Let's dive into this episode. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. All right. Thanks for joining us on episode 34 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. My name is Rose Griffin. And I'm here to help you learn strategies you can use in your therapy sessions tomorrow to help your students. Today, we have with us a special guest. We have Elian Zeta Bonilla. Thanks so much for joining us. It's so nice to have you on. Thanks for having me, Rose. <laughs> and I met Elian Zeta probably maybe two years ago now. I have a company called Supervision Academy, which I own with a business partner. And we specialize in providing remote supervision for people who are seeking their BCBA certification. And I was your supervisor. So you went through the program. Yes. And it was, you really get to know somebody. I remember you did the maximum amount of hours. So that was six and a half hours a month. So we really kind of bonded, right? And got to know each other. Most definitely. Yes. And I remember one of our sessions, we were supposed to be meeting. I was kind of helping you prep for the test. And you texted me and said, "Um, I'm not going to be able to meet this week. And I said, okay, do you want to reschedule? And you said, no, that's okay. And I was like, that's not like you. And then I was like, oh my gosh, did she pass her test? Um, And you texted me and you did. You passed your test the first time. Yes. Yes, I did. Bravo to you because that test is very, very difficult. So that's... It's hard. Um, so so kudos to you. But now you are a fellow SLP BCBA. Some of us, um, we call each other unicorns. I'm not sure why. I think because there's less than 450 people worldwide that are both speech therapists. And oh, wow. Therapists. Yeah. Wow. So it, you, and very small group. And with you being bilingual or trilingual, I would imagine that 
makes you even more of a yeah. unicorn. You know what I mean? yeah, be, definitely being multilingual puts you, you know, in a different uh, category of, yeah. of, of professionalism. So it's it's yeah. difficult to find other people who are who are bilingual or multilingual. So. That's awesome. So I know a little bit about you and your journey, but tell us a little bit about you, your journey, how you became a speech therapist, and you know yeah. why did you want to become a BCBA as well, and, and you know some of those things. Yeah. So, um, as you mentioned, I was a speech therapist, um, for about uh, 12 years and had my own practice, um, seeing adults and children. And I said to myself, but the behavior is not changing, you know, and sometimes the behavior was impeding with the progress of, of the child or the adult during therapy. And I came and learned about what uh, this world of a behavior analysis, applied behavior analysis. And I was like, I need to learn more about this. And the more I learned, the more I loved. And I fell so much in love with it that I became a, a BCBA. So now uh, here in my private practice, we have uh, both professions. I, I see, you know, my my patients for speech therapy and my patients for that fall under the ABA practice. And I'm just passionate about working with, you know, neurodiverse adults and children and, you know, our company, Harlingen Innovative Rehab, the behavior side, uh, Ebonia Institute of Behavior Health. We're just passionate about helping people and changing lives. So it's, yeah. it's been beautiful. It's a wonderful experience. That's awesome. Yeah, that's right. So you have a new portion of your practice, right? Where you're yeah. utilizing mm-hmm. ABA and helping. Yeah, Harlingen is so interesting. It's when I lived in Austin, Texas, my husband would travel three nights a week. I was like very like, didn't know anybody down there. I don't know what got me through American Idol and a lot of work. I was doing a lot of work. <laughs> yes. He actually used to travel to Harlingen. So he, yeah, he was there and he would fly because it's like, you're very you're far from Austin, right? You're really yes. there. Four hours. Four oh hours. So okay. Maybe five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Very cool. Well, I love that you're able to impact lives in that way. And now being a speech therapist and a BCBA, it's really nice to have that very specialized way to look at language. And mm-hmm. I mean, really for me, it's just the way that I kind of approach my whole entire life. Like if you did a day in the life with Rose, you would see that um, ABA kind of is all throughout my day from my yes. parenting style to the way that I set up uh, systems in my business. And it really has helped me just be organized, mm-hmm. to be systematic, and to really, really help my students. So I think it's wow. really great that you're able to help your clients like that too. And I know tonight we're going to talk about speech therapists and BCBAs working together. And more specifically, this article that was written by four fellow BCBAs um, from the ABAI. They came out with this article called Interprofessional Collaborative Practice Between Behavior Analysts and Speech Language Pathologists. And actually, I know, I was looking at the authors, I wrote them down, Trina Spencer, Lena Slim, Teresa Cardin, and Lindy Morgan. Two of those people are also SLP BCBAs. And what's interesting enough is I actually presented at ASHA. Oh my gosh, it was probably the last time it was in person. Uh, boo-hoo. I miss in-person I conferences. <laughs> kind of. I mean, I do. I like all the talking with people and it's kind of exhausting, but I do enjoy that. And we actually did a presentation with another SLP BCBA, Nakia Dower. And we did a hands-on lab is what they called it. And it was all about speech therapists, BCBAs. It was about assessment. And I remember I emailed Dr. Sundberg, who created the VB map. 
yeah. Hey, I'm doing this presentation. Can you, you know, I actually, I think I didn't even ask for BB maps. I just said, Hey, I'm doing this presentation. I'm really excited about it. It's a hands-on lab. And he sent me a bunch of the BB map guidebooks. And so cool. Yeah. So speech therapists can come in and we each had different stations. Mine was the VB map protocol books. And so people came in and they could look at the VB map. Um, If you're not aware of the VB map, it's a really nice assessment. Definitely BCBAs feel mostly feel comfortable with it, but a lot of speech therapists do too. And you know, what I tell speech therapists is that if you haven't, if you're not going to give the VB map, I completely understand that because there's definitely a learning curve there. Um, but being able to take the report and use it to plan your intervention, oh, it's priceless. Yeah, great information, yeah. right? <laughs> definitely, definitely, definitely gives you a guide as to, you know, where to go next with this patient, what goals should be addressed. And it, it, it's beautiful. It really yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. I remember when I learned more about verbal behaviors when I was in Austin, Texas, actually, my BCBA supervisor owns Central Texas Autism Center, Kelly Wood Rich, and um, her supervisor was Dr. Carbone, who's really big in verbal behavior uh, world, ABA. And I remember learning about verbal behavior. I read Dr. Mary Barbera's book, The Verbal Behavior Approach, and it just made so much sense. And ever since I've kind of just been honing, you know, how I work on language and bring the two uh, fields together because there really is definitely some overlap, you know, between... Most definitely. Most definitely. Yeah. Um, So what do you think about embracing the overlap? I know that's something that we're going to talk about. Any strategies for that? Yeah. So uh, it can be very difficult, especially, you know, that's especially when you see someone doing what you're trained to do. And especially talking about speech therapists and BCBAs, you know, it can be difficult. You're like, wait a minute. That person's not supposed to be doing that. Or wait a minute, she's doing, she's trying to do my job. So they can definitely feel, have this, um, uh, you can definitely feel like you're being encroached upon. Um, But what I liked about this article is it addressed the tension that could possibly arise between BCBAs and uh, speech language pathologists. So, you know, and what I liked about the article is that they, they stressed the importance of working together. And how do you work with someone who is doing, is able to do some of the same uh, things that you're able to do, that their scope of practice kind of overlaps within your scope of practice. But one thing that, that has to be recognized is that a lot of this is occurring because of who is governing our, our professions, you know, speech language pathologists. You know, we have the, we have ASHA, you know, the American Speech Language and, and um, Hearing Association. But BCBAs, you know, they have the, the board, anal- the behavior analysis, uh, um, I'm sorry, uh, certification board. Mm-hmm. And they also have other boards, you know, such as psychology. So it's important to be transparent, first of all, to your colleague uh, about what scope of practice, you know, regulates your, your work, you know, what you're doing. So, you know, even when, you know, we're careful to provide services, you know, to our respective practice bubble and our scope of practices, you know, there can be some confusion and defensiveness when you see an SLP or BCBA practicing, as I mentioned, in, in that in that same area. So, yeah, and I think it's definitely something that by region, people are more comfortable with. I think that collaboration can be hard for anybody. Like I have this story that 
I had a student who uses an AAC device uh, and yes. I had worked with this student for a long time and the student was actually doing great. Very independent communicator with their AAC device. And I had been on this case for a couple years and then there was a new BCBA that was an outside provider and they were working in the home environment and they mm -hmm. wanted me to take all these buttons off the student's AAC device. And that wasn't brought up in a meeting. Oh, it was an my. email. Yeah. And so uh -huh. I sent a couple venting text messages to my fellow SLPs <laughs> slash BCBAs who I vent mm -hmm. to about these things. And then, you know, and then I wrote a professional email and we had a discussion and you know, we worked through some of the the questions that this person had. But I think for anybody, I mean, for me being an SLP BCBA, and I've been a speech therapist for 20 years and duly certified for 10. Wow. And I deal with this. You know what I mean? Yeah, so definitely, it, definitely. Yeah. And, and what I liked about that article is that it said, there are times that, the, you know, there could be encroachment issues. It even says that, but it, there's a lot of ways that we can facilitate collaboration. And so that really depends on the speech therapist being professional, the BCBA being professional. And we know, like I've met speech therapists that I probably don't really care for. And I've met BCBAs that I don't really care for. And so I think what happens is a speech therapist meets a BCBA or vice versa. They don't care for that particular person or it's not a positive relationship. Mm -hmm. And then they just think every single encounter is going to be like that. Exactly. And when the focus is the patient, Rose, as you know, when you keep that as your focus, just kind of what you, the example that you gave, I mean, obviously you were able to put aside any, any feelings or any vibes you were getting from the other speech therapist, I mean, from the other BCBA. So really make sure that this patient was getting the best quality care. I mean, no one ever said, Oh, there's too many professionals helping this child or helping this client. I mean, no one has ever said that, you know, but the main point that the article made when discussing the overlap was regardless of our scopes of practice, we should be willing and prepared just as you did to collaborate and consult with each other as often as needed. So, you know, one of the things that they mentioned is it, one thing that you can focus on is a strength. Okay. As SLPs, you know, we, we can diagnose, we can, uh, we're very knowledgeable about spoken and, and written language, listening, processing, reading, pragmatics. As you mentioned, an AAC device, you know, if a person is nonverbal and the only thing they can move are their eyes. Okay. What kind of AAC device is out there for that type of person? An SLP would would be knowledgeable about that, that information. And just in terms of cognition and feeding, you know, these are things where an SLP is very strong in these areas. Now, when it comes to a BCBA, data collection, you know, discussing behavior interventions to treat things like elopement, functional behavior assessments to find the functional of the, the function of challenging behavior, also identifying through observation, you know, what's reinforcing and motivating for the individual. And just when it, if you're into research, single case design, you know, BCBAs, we can talk all day about, you know, data and graphs and, you know, methodologies for teaching effectively. So these are the things that we should be looking to each other to collaborate, to provide the best quality, effective care for, for these patients, for our clients. Absolutely. And I think the one thing that happens and I see often is that there will be a student who maybe engages in problem behavior and maybe they're younger and 
you know, maybe that problem behavior is, you know, not so much a barrier to their learning. And then as the student gets older and, you know, maybe they start having some unsafe problem behavior and then the student's not making progress, maybe the student's not communicating, maybe the student's having trouble doing activities of daily living. And then an outside consultant comes in and then they do all the things you're saying, right? They're observing, they're evaluating, but it makes the school team, because I am a school therapist three days a week, it can make that school team feel very defensive because Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. oftentimes happens is the school team is maybe not antecedently... Now I work in an amazing district. So we, you know, (laughs) we have BCBAs with us all the time, but, you know, maybe they're not really getting the support that they need before it becomes such a barrier to that student's learning and functioning. So the school team, I think, feels very defensive. And Mm -hmm. here comes this outside consultant who does have this specialized skill set. And I really love it when somebody from the outside, like if my students get an IEE, like an individual evaluation, I'm like, oh, great. Look at this, you know, 12 page report that I can paraphrase and utilize, right? Because as a school therapist, you would never have the time that those IEEs take. It's just very time consuming, those those reports. Mm -hmm. So I think that sometimes BCBAs come in and the situation is already not a good vibe, like we've been saying, you know, and then it really kind of you know, erodes the professional relationship sometimes when a BCBA might be questioning people like, well, why did you do this? Or where's your data for that? Is that evidence-based practice? And these are the things that like, in reality, this is really what happens. And then you feel kind of defensive. You know, I mean, I think anybody would in that situation. So sometimes it's hard when it's already a negative situation to make sure you have that professional rapport. I mean, we've all been in these situations, right? Where we're working with a specialist, or maybe you are the specialist, and then you're feeling like, oh, I want to give this feedback, right? And it all goes back to, I care about this child. I want this learner to succeed. Yeah. So I think that idea of like keeping it focused on the child, like I've definitely had some very contentious meetings more from when I was an administrator down in Texas. And what really kept it kind of neutral was just remaining calm and neutral, right? Even though everybody gets really upset about stuff. And then just bringing it back to the child and data, you know, like let's analyze the data. Let's see where we're at with that. So so I think and, you bring up a lot of good points there. Yeah. And just, you know, and the article kind of talked about that, you know, and their solution that they that they mentioned was in, interpersonal collaboration competencies. They're saying that and recommending that practitioners and organizations train their employees, you know, their professionals to adopt, I think they called it the World Health Organization Framework for Action on Interpersonal Practice. So what they call um, IPP. So this interprofessional practice, what it does is just encourages this multi-group of health professionals and an array of professional backgrounds to collaborate on patient care, families, caregivers, communities, in order to administer this superior quality of care. And I liked that they actually laid out these four competencies. Um, For example, um, one of the first competencies was values and ethics. And the aim of this competency is working together for mutual respect and shared values, kind of what you were mentioning, Rose. I mean, when you're going into these environments where you may be feeling a little defensive, I mean, that is definitely important to make sure you're focusing on your shared value. Another competency that they mentioned was acknowledging roles and responsibilities. 
you know, it's okay to talk about our relative uh, scopes of practices, both SLPs and BCBAs. They have to be modest and they have to be candid about their professional limitations and their competencies, but also, you know, take a step back. Let me learn and understand about the, the role of this other professionals, uh, this other professional. And, you know, so understanding of our colleagues' scope of practice and competence and all of these, but most importantly, avoiding making assumptions about roles and responsibilities, you know. That's where the defensiveness comes from. Yeah. And I love that because I've actually done a couple presentations where I use those four exact things you're talking about. And the one thing that I always loved from that framework is this idea of role release and role extension. Because Mm. I know when I am providing speech therapy and I'm doing it collaboratively that I am probably operating in a little bit of a different way when I'm on a team for students with complex needs. And so, you know, that might mean that, you know, one of the things I've done a training on before is uh, a COIC training or verbal imitation. And so I have students who are in, you know, ABA type programs or they're in public school and they're getting that programming. And so I, as the speech therapist, would do a sound inventory and I would, you know, pick out all the functional targets. We would work on them together. And then once the student has met criterion with those, then I would train the paraprofessionals or the RBTs to then provide practice on those throughout the week in a form of maintenance. And so that's this idea of, you know, I don't own articulation. Now, I'm not going to ask a paraprofessional to, you know, provide instruction on speech sounds that a student can't say. But once the student has met that criterion, I feel very comfortable training staff and saying, this has been done already. I just want to give the student more opportunities to practice. And so I feel like those are some of those areas where I've had practice with you know, that role extension, role release and things like that. Yeah. I, and I love that. I, I love what, you know, you just said, I, I don't own, I don't, we don't own verbal behavior. You know, we don't own articulation. So that, that is definitely beautiful. Definitely a beautiful takeaway from, from the application of, of these competencies. I know also too, they had a third competency, which is communicating in a manner that supports the team. You know, leave all the condescending, demeaning, sarcastic, read between the lines sort of communication because it it just, it does nothing for the patient. Really, it doesn't. So keep the focus on the patient, you know, remain positive, proactive, and listen with empathy to our, you know, professionals, our, our collaborators, our colleagues. Definitely. And I know uh, one of the last and final competencies that they, you know, mentioned was also focus on being a team team building values and principles, Um, SLPs and BCBAs, we share a common framework ethically, you know, integrating the best available evidence with clinical professional proficiencies while keeping the client values, as we mentioned, once again, in mind. And they really emphasize that both professionals need to contribute to the improvement of the team process and overall performance. So when you're going into these meetings and you're discussing a child, it's not about you, it's about the child and your team. So I really love that. And ethically, us, we as BCBAs, we know that part of our ethical duty is to carry out that treatment plan, whether we it goes along with, it aligns with our, our values or not. So you really want to make sure that we're ethically working, working together. So 
really yeah. enjoyed this article. Yeah, it's a great article. And I think a lot of people are, you know, taking note of it. And I think that it's good to talk about how we can apply these things to our everyday lives because I know that a lot of speech therapists and BCBAs are working together collaboratively, you know, and maybe they are really struggling with that kind of collaborative piece. I know that it seems to be a little bit easier when you're working in a clinic and all the professionals are there. You know, as a school-based therapist, what I try to do, we do have even though I'm a BCBA, I'm employed as a speech therapist. So we do have an outside BCBA that we work with. And so I try to make sure that if I'm at the meetings that I can be there. And if not, I make sure that I touch base with them if there's any changes, like you said, right. maybe about a behavior plan or about something that they're helping us kind of navigate. And it's just good to make sure that you have that ongoing communication with all members of the team, really. That's kind of one of the perks of... Uh, advantages of of collaborative practice, really just helping our clients, you know, who have complex communication disorders. Definitely, definitely supporting them, um, you know, the best way that that we can. So I know this article did a very good job of bringing to light um, (laughs) this secretive what are they doing? No, what are they doing situation? And it just brought it out to, to the open. And I think really focus on it more. There's been articles about how we can collaborate with BCBAs or SLPs, but just the way that this was, was presented was in a way that just really kind of really brings to light the importance of working together and setting aside differences. So yeah, and we definitely will link up the article too. It's just, you know, it's an open access article. So it's right on the ABAI website, but we'll make sure that we have a link for that in the show notes. And yeah, really great information. So I always ask everybody the same kind of ending question. Um, it's a little food for thought. So what is the most important piece of advice that you would want to pass along to parents or professionals about communication? The most important advice, of course, is definitely whether your child or whether you're working with an older adult or an older child, it's very, very important to recognize when a child needs help or needs services. You know, I have parents, for example, who come to see me when a child is eight years old, but they've been telling the doctor (laughs) ever since the child was two that that something's not right. That is one of the biggest concerns that I've had as a speech language pathologist. And it's very important to demand that you get the services for your child. And even if, you know, you're made to feel like you are a parent who is overprotective or, you know, have too much anxiety about your child's progress, you have to go with your gut feeling as a parent. If you feel that something is not right, even if it's an older adult, even if it's a an adult, you know, an older, a young adult or an older adult, you have to get these services because disorders and impairments don't wait. They progress. And if nothing is ever done, your child is or your loved one uh, continues to fall behind. And, you know, of course, help is out there, but the sooner the better. So communication is important. It's how we live. It's how we interact with one another. And that is a quality of life issue when your loved one can't communicate. So yeah, I think that's a good point. I've been working with a lot more younger students with autism, um, again, in my private practice. And I know 
one of the families I'm working with just feels like, oh my gosh, you know, I wish we would have known sooner. I, you know, my son was saying a lot of things, but wasn't interacting socially. And so, you know, I think too, and it might just by culture depend on, on the family structure, but do you think sometimes too that some moms or dads might be voicing some concerns to other family members and family members may say like, oh, he yes. or she is fine. And yes. oh, so-and-so didn't talk till they were six. Yes. And, I mean, I've definitely heard some of that. So yeah. Or your dad was, your husband was like that when, when he was little. Right. Or your wife did the same thing when, well, that's explaining why, you know, dad is probably having problems at work, why he can't learn certain things, why yeah. um, certain aspects of communication are difficult for him. You know, your dad was shy also. He didn't like to talk to me, but he'll be fine. There's no such thing as he'll grow out of it when it's right. a speech. And, and I, I think now with COVID too, you know, so many people were not getting the valuations or they were put on a wait list. And <laughs> that was actually why ABA Speech, we've started um, doing teletherapy in 12 states and abroad just because I was getting so many different inquiries from people that would see me on Instagram or see me on a podcast and say like, Hey, can you do a consult or can you see my child for therapy? And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm only licensed. I'm here licensed here in Ohio and actually Washington state now, which is kind of new. But I really wanted to be able to say yes to so many more people because people might be on a wait list. They might Mm -hmm. be just curious, like, am I getting the right services? Because there are a lot of different ABA providers and every speech therapist has a different way of doing things, you know? And so people just want to use somebody as a sounding board too. So awesome. Well, Now, where can people find out more about you and your work? Well, um, I'm on Instagram at uh, multilingual, SLP, BCBA. So they can definitely join me there. So definitely. I I love connecting with, with, uh, you know, future SLPs, future BCBAs, BCBAs and SLPs that are already in, um, you know, in the field. So it's just really great for us to, to collaborate and have a platform to do so. Absolutely. I hope I'm following you. You have to follow me. Am I following yes. you? I don't know. Yes, okay. Are, okay. Good. <laughs> I, I love Instagram. All about social media. Um, well, it was so nice to see you. Make sure everybody to check the, the show notes. Um, we'll link up that particular article that we talked about and any other resources um, we discussed. Here at ABA Speech, we have a new free on-demand webinar all about getting started with students, how to help them engage and communicate. So make sure to check that out. I hope that you enjoyed the show. And if you haven't done so already, make sure to hit subscribe and write a review. Remember to keep things fun and functional and I'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.